Will some people change? Or will they choose to stay the same? You see, it is a choice. We sang a song that says there's power, I'm sorry, there in the Father there is freedom. And God is always trying to change us. The reason because you and I lend ourselves to self-centered thoughts and actions. And that complicates our lives. So, what will you do? Will you change? Or will you choose to be the same? And again, I want to emphasize, it is a choice that each one of us makes to remain the same when God confronts us to change. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to the Gospel of Luke. Okay, that's the back part of your Bible. There's an Old Testament on the left side of your Bible and a New Testament on the right side of your Bible. And the New Testament starts with four biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We want Luke, the 17th chapter. Okay, and uh, we're going to look there. If you've got those, one of those New Testaments, it's page 67. And we do encourage you, if you don't have a Bible to bring, get one of those New Testaments that's on the table. They're free. Bring it, because I'll ask you to underline to mark something. And the reason I do that is because I hope this week you would, you would read the passage that we're looking at today. And uh, you'd take, there's a page in your worship handout for filling in notes, that you'd fill in those notes, and you reread the passage, rethink about these, these thoughts that are in the notes, and you let God speak to you again. Because that way, maybe the things that are going to be said today might stick with you instead of just being forgotten after lunch today, okay? But uh, if you're there, Luke 17 chapter, we're going to get there in a little bit. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We'll have the words on the screen in just a minute. Let me say this. <clears throat> Any caring adult will warn their children concerning strangers. Because as adults, we know that strangers can imply danger, okay? And so any caring adult will warn their children in regard to the dangers that a stranger might present. I want you to look on your worship handout and fill in that first blank, if you would, there. It says, I want you to know that God pays attention to the danger that is out there for our young, immature ones. I'd like you to write young, immature ones down. Because I'm going to tell you, probably what we're going to look at, the Scripture is going to be so disjointed to some of you, you're going to say, I don't even see how you put it all together. But if you will look back later this week and read it with these blanks, and what I tell you to underline or circle, it's going to come together. Okay? But I want you to know... That God pays attention to the danger that is out there for our young, immature ones. So much so that Jesus speaks directly concerning that danger to the young, immature ones. Okay? And we're going to look at that first verse of Luke 17. But before we look there, before we turn there, let me just say that this is the last Sunday in this location. Matt has told you about that. Somebody says, you know, we ought to have some kind of ceremony. So we're going to have a ceremony right now 
a moment of silence for being here. Okay, it's over. So, <laughs> next week, we will not be here any longer, okay? Next week, we're going to be... Somebody says, how do you tell somebody to find it? It's 2.5 miles past the airport entrance. They'll hit our driveway. They'll see Connection Church, okay? 2.5 miles past the entrance to the airport, okay? Because the airport's rather long. The entrance to the airport. That's what will be placed on our sign on Broadway. That's what will be in all our promotions. 2.5 miles past east is what we put. 2.5 miles east of the airport entrance. And we will be there next week, okay? And I want to encourage you to come early, okay? I got a feeling that the first couple Sundays we'll probably have a packed house, okay? And uh, you want to come early so you can get a seat near the front, okay? So you want to get there early so you can get a seat near the front so we don't run out of popcorn and you can get a cup of coffee and come in and sit down. I've been asked, will we have enough seats? We have 156 chairs out here today, okay? And yesterday, uh, one of the guys just fixed it all out. We got 190 seats set out. We've never put out 190 seats. And we've had Sundays over 200 in this place. We've never put out 190 chairs. So we got plenty of room for growth. And if we get where we're filling those up, then we'll talk about a second service, okay? Or we'll just go out and buy another building and do all the remodeling for four months. <laughs> well, I think you guys would prefer a second service, okay? But uh, uh, we got plenty of room out there, and so there'll be a lot of chairs the first couple of Sundays, and then our attendance will go back to basically what it's been. And so uh, we'll make that adjustment. But you'll want to be there early. Let me say that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, if you've not read the article in here, we're going to be out there, and we're going to be, our trailers will be moved out there today, and then uh, Monday we'll open those trailers, we're going to clean all our stuff, okay? Not all the stuff will go into the building, we'll move into the building, what well, we can move into the building, but we're going to clean these partitions we've used, we've got to clean the rods, we've got to do all that. And if we only have four people, it's going to take a long time to clean, and we don't want to move in until we do all the cleaning, and so if we only have four people, we'll be back here next Sunday, okay? Because we won't have anything. No, I'm just kidding you. But uh, come out. You can come out. If you haven't helped at all, okay, you come out. Yesterday was my 44th anniversary, July 6th. And I, Laura was planning to be in here, but somebody got hurt, and so she's in preschool filling in for him. And uh, I was out there from 8 and got home, I think, at 7.15, 7.30, something like that, and I'm telling you, she had roast beef and mashed potatoes, brown gravy getting all over the vegetables. Oh, it was outstanding. And then we watched a movie together. I went to nod off. We watched a movie together. Okay, it made in 1949. And Baby Makes Three with Robert Young. And Barbara Hale, you remember Barbara Hale? She was the secretary for Perry Mason. See, you young folks, you don't even know what I'm talking about, okay? And uh, Laura loved Perry Mason, so I made sure I got an old one with Barbara Hale in it so she could see the lady. And, and she was looking, I said, do you recognize her? Huh? So I had to explain that to her. And then the evening got later, and we celebrated our anniversary. We had a good time. I'm just so glad I'm married to a woman that doesn't put pressure on me, but just works within the schedule that we can work. But anyway, we did a lot yesterday, 
We want to do a lot Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and we want to move things in there. And uh, Kids Rock, we won't be able to move anything in the Kids Rock until Wednesday evening, and we'll move that in there. And then we should be all set up for next Sunday. And so I want to encourage you, if you can come, young, old, bring cleaning. It says bring cleaning rags, sponges, or something, a bucket, and let's just clean all those things, and uh, we're going to store those. And then, what, three or four years, we'll... We'll start another church, and we got like, I mean, those panels are $100 a piece. Those little connectors are $2 a piece. We probably got $2,500 in panels. We've got all this stage is going to be stored. We're going to be able to, we probably got two, dollars $3,000 in curtains. We're going, to, we're going to clean all that. Matter of fact, I didn't tell. Curtains ought to be given to me. Don't put, pack those boxes away because we want to get these cleaned so we can store them. And when we start that new church, it won't be like us having to have a lot of startup money, we're going to have everything ready. God has got connection ready to grow exponentially. Okay? And I'm so appreciative. We had our largest number of workers yesterday. We had a fine meal. Just a good time. And we've only had two injuries. We've had somebody uh, cut their hand, and then we had somebody break a bone. And and that's only two injuries we've had. And uh, we're so fortunate for four months. And I appreciate those people helped us. So you come, you help us tomorrow night, and you can see the time, I think, is 5 to 8. You can look at the time on there. It's not that 4 to 7 schedule. It's 5 to 8. So when people get off work, they can be there, okay? So let's get back. Luke 17, okay? Got your Bibles open now. Before we look, I've got a question. Will you heed Jesus' words? Will you heed Jesus' words, or will you hear His words and not change? Will you heed Jesus' words? Will you hear what He's going to say and change? I showed you that video earlier because that was sort of fast. That's probably, you know, junior, senior, and college video. And I knew that would go over our heads, and so I showed it a second time. Will you change or will you choose to refuse to change? Well, look at verse 1 in Luke 17. One day, Jesus said to His disciples, now let me stop. Jesus worked mainly... if, if if, if this was a map of Israel, and this is the northern part, the Sea of Galilee's up here, the Jordan River runs down, and then there's the Dead Sea down here, okay? Understand, Jordan River is just full of life. The Dead Sea is dead. The river runs from the sea full of life down to the Jordan River, but it doesn't give itself out, and it's just salt. Matter of fact, whenever I went through my training, I saw pictures of people who could hold an umbrella and read a newspaper and not sink. In the Dead Sea, it's so saturated with what it won't get rid of, okay? And it's just dead. And that's how we are sometimes. You come to church, you come to Bible study, you hear the things that God's trying to change you with, because in the Father there's freedom, and you refuse to give out, and you just feel a lot of deadness. And you know that's true. Your mate isn't really blessed by your life like she or he could be. Your children are corrupted because you refuse to change. So Jesus did most of His work up here in Galilee in the three years that He did His ministry and He's heading to Jerusalem. He's going to die. And on the way, the crowds are getting around. As Matt says, He's like a rock star. And, and, and the crowds are around Him. And what's He doing? He's just pouring out statements. He's pouring out teachings. And today, He's just going to pop some things out on the people. Okay? And these are His disciples. These are the people who are His followers. And He says to them, Look at verse 1. There will always be temptations to sin. I'll be glad whenever I'm so close to God I never face temptation to sin. 
Jesus says, there'll always be temptation to sin. I thought I was going to center on that because there's a verse, there's a light verse, but I'm going to pass on that because in context, he's trying to say, there's always the struggle with sin, okay? The temptation that comes. Some of us don't think, I think we'll get that place where we won't have it anymore. You're going to have it until you go to be with the Lord in heaven, okay? But he says, there will always be temptation to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. Okay, now I could take off on that, and I could say, some of you gals, the way you dress, you know guys have trouble. You reveal all your cleavage. So I could say you're tempting. But you know what? He's not talking about that here. That's in another verse. Okay? That's in another passage of the New Testament. And somebody says, oh, don't get on that stuff. Well, that's, that's real life, okay? But he says... There's always temptation in, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. So do you do the tempting? Do you do the tempting? We worry about the strangers. I started this out saying every caring adult would warn the younger, immature ones about strangers because strangers can hurt you. But Jesus is speaking to His followers and He says, what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? You see... Parents need to really hear this. Brothers and sisters need to really hear this. Family members need to really hear this. But let me just talk about parents at this point. You see, most of the temptation that comes into our children's lives are permitted by parents. Parents are the ones who bring the temptation into our children's lives. Listen, no, no caring parent would buy a loaded gun or have a loaded gun and give it to a child unsupervised. No caring parent would do that. But what do we have? We have parents who, listen, who will make TV available to kids unsupervised. They'll make computers available to kids unsupervised. They'll rent movies that they know is full of mind-altering temptation, and they'll let their kids feed on that. They'll, 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 buy, they'll buy internet accessible cell phones for their kids. When I talk about kids, I'm not just talking about seven, eight, nine. And you see, you know, those people aren't ready to control that. They're too young, immature. And Jesus says, what sorrow? What sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? Because you see, these children will grow up addicted to what parents allowed them to be addicted to. And I know some of you are going to say, yeah, but I don't want them to grow up and rebel against me. They won't rebel against you if you love them. They'll only rebel against you if you live the life of hypocrisy. You sneak the movies when they're in your bedroom. You watch the internet when you can watch it. You're on your phone looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, say. What sorrow to those who do the tempting, he says. It is adults who make temptation possible for children. Now somebody says, why are you getting on children? Look at verse 2. See, he doesn't stop. He says, it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck. A millstone was the large rock that they would use to grind their grain. Okay? So he says, hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. Nobody misunderstands that. He's saying, listen, what sorrow to the person 
who tempts little ones because he adds this in. He says, I'm going to tell you how dangerous that is. That is as dangerous as if somebody tied a heavy rock around your neck and threw you in the sea. And you know what the result of that is, don't you? You're going to be like the Titanic. You're going to sink all the way to the bottom. It is not going to be well for you. And there are parents today whose hearts are broken because it is not well because of what you have told your children is more important than what God would want you to put in their life. Their priority is always chosen based upon what you have taught them is the most important. And he says, it, and, and you, you constantly feel that millstone around your neck, that weight of disappointment and frustration and sadness. And you know what? You keep doing that. You refuse to change. You refuse to say, you know, I made a mistake. I'm wrong. That shouldn't have been there. You're saying well, they'll never hear you. They need to start hearing the testimony of somebody whose life is turning around because they're choosing to change. Oh, they'll say you're older. Those things aren't as important to you because you don't have as much energy or whatever it is. But you keep saying, no, I made a mistake. I told God I'm sorry. I want to tell you I'm sorry to you. You see, Jesus is saying it's a very serious thing. And if you don't watch the temptations you put in front of your children, what's going to happen, it's not going to end well. Not only for them, but not for you. There's a verse in the Bible that has meant a lot to me in regard to my children, because sometimes I just wanted to give up on my kids. I mean, I saw other people, they had perfect kids. I did not have perfect kids. Look at this verse. Proverbs 19, 18. Good verse. Space if you have small children. Discipline your children. Discipline your children while they are young. Look what he says. Now, let me stop. Though I've got to explain discipline. We think discipline is punishment. That's not what the Bible. Discipline is correcting. Giving instruction of correction to help a child know. That's what he's saying. Discipline your children while they are young enough to learn. Give the instruction of correction while your children are young enough to learn. If you wait until they're 12 and 13 and 14, you're waiting too long. There is instruction of correction that needs to be given to 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 year olds. You only got 16 years and you better start when they're 2, 3, 4, and 5. Most of you know your 2 year old controls your life if you don't give the instruction that God wants in their life. You jump, you react, and you are wore out in the day by two and three-year-olds. And they will continue to do that. See, discipline your children while they are young enough to learn. If you don't, you are helping them destroy themselves. And all he's trying to say is if a child doesn't learn to recognize some authority, they're going to grow up. They're going to start school. They're not going to recognize the teacher's authority. And they're going to run all around. The teacher says, let's sit down and let's look at this book. And they're not going to. And you know what? These students that sit down are going to get ahead. The student runs around. It's not. And you're going to say, well, my kid just doesn't learn that way. And then they're going to grow up, say... And they're going to drive a car and a policeman's going to stop them because they won't listen to authority. And then they're upset at the policeman. And then they're going to get a job and they don't like their supervisor. Always the people at work are hard to work with because they haven't learned authority. You see, when they were little, you either choose to give correctness 
or you refuse it and you help them to destroy themselves in life. Dad, you are extremely important. If life is just a party for you, your child will grow up smoking and drinking those things that make it a party. And you've been here. Bible doesn't say having a drink is a sin. Bible doesn't say, well, you're on the cutting edge if you smoke too much. Smoking a cigarette is a sin. Bible says you take care of this body. But if it's all a joke to you, it's going to be a joke to your kid. If all it is about you finding your next pleasure, hitting that golf ball, hitting that baseball, it's all a joke to you about climbing in the woods and God is left out, your children are going to grow up with that. And it's going to be like when you get older, somebody's got a stone around your neck and they just threw you in the water again. And your heart's broken. It just doesn't end well. Now, I said all that. Look back at verse 3 in Luke. And you ought to circle the next three words in verse 3. So, watch yourself. That's very important. If you read verse 1 and 2 and the beginning of verse 3 and you don't understand, he's talking to you. He's not talking to somebody else. He's talking to each one of those followers. He says, so watch yourself. You've got to pay attention. It's easy for me to get caught on what I want to do and forget about who I influence in my life, especially those young, immature ones. So he says, watch your, so watch yourself. Jesus is saying you need to personally take responsibility for what you do in front and with those who are younger than you, who are immature young ones. Now, I understand this. Let me stop, because you may read a commentary somewhere. I understand in the Greek that when he talks about younger ones, in the Greek, that could mean children or that could mean believers who aren't very mature. And you and I need to pay attention to that. We need to take responsibility. He says, so watch yourself. And then he moves from the conversation of, of our influence into the lives of younger people. He moves our conversation into the relationship with one another. And this is extremely important because you and I face conflict in our relationships. And so he moves and he tells us some instructions here. Okay? Remember, he doesn't tell us about that relationship with the children to inhibit us. He wants to help us find freedom in influencing those who are younger than us. And what he's going to tell us now is to influence us to make changes in our life so that we can experience the freedom that comes when God is in control of relationships. Because I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you're going to have conflict in your relationship. Or relationships. So what do we do? What are we to do when we experience the hurt? Now listen to me. The hurt that comes from somebody's wrong behavior. Not your own. He's not talking about your own wrong behavior. What do you do when you experience the hurt that comes from somebody else's, someone else's wrong behavior? Well, look at verse 3. He goes on. He says, If another believer sins. So he's talking about two people who say God's important. If another believer sins, now the Greek word for sin does not mean sin like we think that separates us from God. That word means that another believer hurts or offends you. He's saying, so if, if another believer hurts you or offends you, see that could be your mate, that could be your parents, your children. That could be somebody in connection. That could be another believer you work with. He's saying, when someone does a wrong behavior toward you, okay? 
He says you have a responsibility of what you do in regard to that behavior. Look at the next blank on your message map. Another thing I want you to know in regard to this passage. I want you to know that God pays attention to how we relate to those whose behavior hurts us. See, we say, where are you, God? Where are you? My mate doesn't even seem to care. They're just walking all over me. They're hurting me. My kids, my, my, my parents, my friends that are Christian. Where are you, God? I want you to know that God pays attention to how we relate to those whose behavior hurts us. Okay? Some relate when they're hurt by getting so caught up with their emotions and feelings and they get angry. And if the hurt occurs on a regular basis, they become bitter. Now I want to know, does anger work? Does becoming bitter work? Some people will go into rage. Does rage work? Some people will become vengeful. You're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Does vengeance work? See, we know it doesn't. And we know the relationship with that person who hurt us we know it doesn't get any better. It doesn't. Some of you people in marriage, you both are Christians. And one of you does something that is terribly hurtful to the other. I'm not okaying the wrong behavior. Jesus is trying to identify that. And what do you do? How do you handle it? What is to be your position? Now look what he says in verse 3. Rebuke that person. That's what he says. Two believers, if another believer hurts you, okay, sins, does something that creates great hurt inside you. Not sin against God, they hurt you, see? What do you do? You are to rebuke that person. Now let me say, rebuke does not mean you hurt that person. Rebuke does not mean you put that person down. Rebuke does not mean you get your way. Rebuke does not mean you feel better. Okay? You just got to get rid of that idea of rebuke. When God rebukes us, He's not rebuking us to get His way. He's not rebuking us so He can feel better. He's not rebuking us to hurt us. And so when I would rebuke someone, another believer, somebody who has a relationship with God, I am not to do it to get my way. I am not to do it to be right. Rebuke means to help the person become what God wants them to become. And so if my parent, if my child, if my mate, if my Christian friend who I have a relationship with hurts me, I am to rebuke them. I am to say something to them for the purpose of bringing them back into the place where God wants them. My wife did something she shouldn't have done. It may have been a terrible thing. I am to rebuke her not to get even to be right to help her see what she did, how it does hurt me, how God would want her to come back into the relationship the right way, doing the right thing. Look on, look on your next blank on your worship handout. Look what I wrote there. Rebuking the person is done. I'm sorry. Rebuking is done to restore the person to the kind of action that God would want. That's what rebuking is for. Restore the person to the kind of action God wants. Most of us, when somebody hurts us, we just want to get even or be right. And that's not what rebuking is. You do that, you just end up getting around in a circle of words. You just keep verbalizing each other and you get nowhere. It's to restore the person 
to the kind of action that God would want. Some of you, come on, some of you talked with me. And you've done something, you've hurt somebody. Or somebody's hurt you. And I've tried to bring you back to where I think God would want you to be. And it's not always that I've taken your side. Or even their side sometimes. It's where God would want you to be. I wish Laura was in here so she could say that's how we try. We don't. Listen, if I do something to hurt her, I don't want her just to look over it. If it really brings distress to her, hurt, I want her to talk to me about that. And I have that right with her. Because if you don't, I'm going to tell you, you end up putting little thorns into your relationship. And so rebuke, but for the purpose to restore the person where God wants them. Look at this verse. It's in Galatians 6. I took it out of the today's English version of the Bible. A little bit easier to understand than the King James, the New International Version, or the Living Translation, the New Living Translation. It says, if someone is caught in any kind of wrongdoing, that's what Jesus is talking about, those of you who are spiritual should set him, of course they always spoke from the masculine gender, but him or her right. See, hey, you know, I don't think that's the right behavior. Do you see how that hurt? Okay? But you must do it how, folks? In a gentle way. In a gentle way. And most of us don't. Most get angry. Most get bitter. Most get vengeful. Most wants to get even. Most want to be right. And none of those words are involved in this verse here. When we rebuke, listen to me, whenever Laura rebukes me, my wife, or I rebuke Laura, my wife, I must be aware of my feeling. That's why sometimes we don't counter the wrong right away. And I must be aware of my attitude. What am I trying to, to, to do this rebuking for? Is it to restore her, or is it because I'm just a little peeved I didn't get my way? You see, whenever I rebuke, I need to see, am I holding any kinds of ill feelings here? Or am I really trying to bring Laura back into the relationship of companionship as husband and wife? Or if it's something else where God would want her to be in regard to that action? Or is she doing that for me that way? Okay? Rebuking is restoring Look, he goes on in verse 3, Luke 17, verse 3. He says that four-letter word that's so often in the Bible, then. Let's see. Yeah, then. And then is constantly through the Bible. You see, then means based on what I said before, look, if, a, if there is repentance, uh-oh, what does he say? Forgive. You see, the then says there's more. When you rebuke, there's more. Where we fail when we seek to correct one another, rebuking to get people where God wants them, is we don't do the then. He says, then if there is repentance, forgive. Forgive. You see, rebuking someone is tied to forgiveness, is what Jesus is saying. For most of us, rebuking is getting them to know I'm right or getting my way. Jesus says rebuking is tied to forgiveness. Look what He says. He goes on in verse 4. Even if, 
that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. I'm going to tell you, rebuking that's not tied with forgiveness won't work. It will not build relationship. You may be stronger, louder, more able to debate and use verbal words to, to get your mate to condescend, to give in to your position. But rebuking without forgiving will not work well. And, and what's Jesus say? Look at there. Seven times a day. He's not saying just seven times. He's saying seven times a day. So if you did it seven times a day in a seven-day week, that's forgiving your mate. That's right! 49 times in a week! That'll wear me out! I, th I think Jesus is local. I don't think He knows what He's talking about. You know, He's never married to Laura. <laughs> I guess Laura could turn over here and say, He's never married to Mike. What Jesus is saying, I'm the Creator of human beings. I planned for these things never to be a part of your life when I created you, but you chose to sin. And sin so complicates your life. That's a sermon back. It's our choices that complicate our lives. And he says, so I want you to understand, because Laura and Mike are sinners, they choose to complicate their lives sometimes. So when Mike does something that's wrong, Laura, you need to rebuke him. Purpose is to restore him back to where God wants, not to be right or get even. Okay? And if he shows a sense of repentance, you are to forgive. But how many times, God, I get tired of having to forgive him. Jesus says, I tell you what, let's start out with one day. At least seven times in a day. And you know he's not talking about it. it's only seven. Uh oh, look, Mike, Laura says, it's the eighth time. I'm not going to forgive you today, this time. No. Jesus is talking about you continue to forgive. And the Greek for forgive is to lay aside. In other words, listen, what she forgives me of, what I forgive her of, we are to lay it aside. We are not to carry this baggage in our mind to remind each other. We are to lay that forgiven item aside. Okay? We don't carry it. If I do something wrong again, she deals with that, but she doesn't bring that one back up. That's hard. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus is not telling us this to inhibit our, our emotions. Jesus is trying to bring us freedom that the world is not finding and discovering. Oh, this is so insightful what He is saying. And it's so applicable for today. Don't bring up what you've forgiven. Lay it aside. Deal with the next action. Even if it's the same action that comes one hour or two hours or a few hours later, or another day later. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Don't pick up forgiven behavior. If you do, you are carrying so much baggage, it is beating down your side of the relationship. That's why some of you, listen, you're walking through life with your mate, and you're saying, you're always so happy. I can't be that happy. That's because you see, you're carrying all this baggage where you said you forgave but you kept sticking it in your backpack and it's wearing you out and your mate doesn't hold on to it. 
Jesus says, don't hold on to it. Jesus is saying there's going to be conflict in our relationship. People are going to do things to you that are wrong. Look, it's not you. They are wrong. It's a wrong behavior. It hurts you. Sometimes that wrong behavior is mine. Sometimes it's Laura's. You see, you're going to have that kind of an experience. But what you've got to remember is you need to rebuke that person. Seek to restore them to where God wants them. Listen, I'm going to tell you. Now listen to me. Parents and grandparents are horrible in doing this. They're horrible. You let those little monsters get away with all kinds of wrongful action. See, and you think I'm just making something funny. It is true. I remember my first grandchild was born. And I'm at a senior adult meeting. I'm not a senior adult, but I'm a pastor there. And they all said, wow, your first grandchild. What are you going to do? Somebody says when they do something wrong. Somebody says, oh, you won't do anything. I said, I'll spank their bottom. Oh, you wouldn't do that. Bet your money on it, I would. Now you just ask them. And then ask them, when's the last time they remember me spanking them? They can't remember. Because one or two good swats at the right time in the middle picture. <laughs> See? And you're saying, you don't scare them, no. <laughs> you see, I'm trying to restore them to the place God wants. And one thing God tells every child is, you grow up learning to obey your parents. And if you're a single adult or you're a teenager and you're having trouble finding life, just connect it with disobedience to the authority that lives in your home. I'm not making any of this up. This is a guy who did that from 14 to 19 with his dad. I'm not making any of this up. And I'm not proud of it. It's stuff I share in CR. I'm just being honest. And Jesus says, somebody does wrong behavior, you rebuke them. And parents and grandparents, you ought to do that with those kids. You ought to do that with those kids. Remember, Proverbs 19, 18 says, if you don't, you're helping them destroy themselves. You're the first line where they learn about authority. And they should learn loving, benevolence, correct authority. Well, look at the last blank on your, on your worship handout. It says, when it comes to the wrong behavior of someone else, you only have two options. You see, we forgive or we become bitter. Now write those two words down before I read on. You only have two options. You do. You're either going to forgive or become bitter. You say, no, I won't get bitter. You don't forgive and they do it again and again and again, you become bitter. You do every time. Man, Laura irritates me if I hold on. Or better yet, it's probably Mike irritates me if she holds on. Look what I wrote on the rest of that. For the rest of your life, these two options will be before you. Your choice will either bring comfort if you forgive to your life or bring complication, see if you are bitter, to your life. For the rest of your life. Some of you are still holding on to what somebody did to you 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Some of you kids, listen, you've now got kids of your own, and oh, you love your mom and dad, but you're still holding on to that wrong they did. You ought to tell them it's still in your mind, and they ought to ask you to forgive them, and then you ought to lay that aside, because all it does is complicate you. That's all it does. Now look what he says in verse 5. So here, here Jesus said all this. 
Man, can you imagine? Be careful how you're influencing people who are younger. Okay? And when you're wrong, forgive. Two very strong things to pay attention to. Okay? And so the apostles, look, the apostles said to the Lord, Show us. Show us how to increase our faith. What are they saying? So you've got to read it in context. Because I'm going to tell you, this week's sermon deals with healing. It has nothing to do with the subjects. That's why you've got to be careful. Even though you go from verse 10 to verse 11, and you move from Jesus talking about these two subjects, and the apostle saying, how do we do this? And he moves into a healing experience. You see, they're so overwhelmed. You know, one of these guys are thinking, man, I, I'm following Jesus, and i got a brother at home, man. I, 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 he, I ought to forgive him, but man, how do you get faith to do this? How do you get a hold of a faith that can so radically change you that you will watch your actions so that you don't bring temptation into younger ones' lives, immature people's lives? And how do you so willingly forgive somebody seven times a day who does something that just pains you greatly. And so the question is, Apostle said, Lord, show us how to increase our faith. And the Lord answered. You see, you've got to look at this in context. And I'm going to tell you what some people do. They'll pull this out of context and they'll have a great teaching on faith. And I could have done that. But I've tried in Luke. I've tried in Luke to keep together what the context says. And look what the Lord says. The Lord answered, If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, May you be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would obey you. Now I want you to hear something. Jesus is saying this, The amount of your faith is not important. There's people who go to Bible conference after Bible conference. They listen to all the teachers of the world. And they are depressed. And they cannot find inner happiness. And they cannot have a future that's bright. Because you see, you don't grow faith. Faith is simply a leap. And from that leap, if you evaluate it, God always shows up when there's a leap of faith And you look at those times he shows up and you begin bringing the confidence. Now listen, when my kids were little, man, I grew up 14 and 19 rebelling against my parents. I didn't trust anybody. I thought everybody's trying to control me. So I got my first two kids and we go swimming. And I'll be in the pool and I'll say, come on, jump. Every parent does that, right? And they jump. I let them go in the water and I pick them up. What do you think happened next time I say jump? I'm telling you, neither one of them would jump. Because they took one leap of faith and I didn't show up. I'm going to tell you, faith is a leap of faith. It's not building up. It's you jump. And you see God show up. And you start remembering every time He shows up that you're willing to take greater leaps of faith. All Jesus says is, it's not how much of faith. He uses a little bitty mustard seed. Some of you people my age and older, you remember you used to wear those clear little balls on the chain that had the mustard seed right in the middle of it as a necklace. Jesus is saying, it's not having great faith, it's having faith. 
And he says, if you have faith, then listen, you just forgive. If you have faith, you listen to what God says, and you just do. And in this case, you just forgive. Oh, but that's so hard. All you have to do is trust God and take the step and let go of Laura's wrongdoing. Let go of Mike's wrongdoing in our relationship. That's all Jesus is saying. Just do it. It's not whether you got this great faith. I haven't matured enough to do this. I don't understand enough the Bible to do this. Jesus is not going to see some of these people ever again. They don't have a Bible back then. That's the Old Testament. They're just going to be reminded, you know, they're going to be walking through life. As I can say, remember Jesus came through and He taught that we need to forgive those who offends us, especially when they say they're sorry. Now, but I don't know if I can do that. I didn't walk with Jesus very many days. He says, hey, all you had to do is have small faith. In other words, it's not how big. Matter of fact, if you know anything about a mustard seed, it's alive. It's alive. You put it in the ground. It's going to grow a big tree. Jesus talks about that in another passage. And you know it's alive. Listen, you know it's alive, mustard seed, because when you put it into action, there are evidence of life. And that's the tree that grows. And I know if you have faith, and you know I have faith, you know how? Because it's evident in action. And people who know you, this is why the significant others are so important. Listen, Dad, Mom, you come to connection. You hear this truth. You're captivated. You want it. But then you go home and your child, whether they're small or they're adult, they don't see any change. You still are as, as, as filthy in your speaking and your thinking and your actions as you were before you heard this. They don't see any live action that illustrates your faith is real. Though you say, I remember praying that Jesus Christ my life is Lord. See, you know a mustard seed is live because when you put it into action, it eventually shows. And you know a person who practices just forgiving over a period of days and weeks and months, you know that faith is live because you see it happen again and again. And I'm going to tell you, it'll start changing people in your family. It will. You're waiting for them to change. Jesus is talking to you. Will you change or will you choose to stay the same? Now he goes on, verse 7. Look, look how quick he changes, okay? He says, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? What in the world? I can't understand the Bible. That's why I don't read it. Look how quick it changes. It goes from realizing your influence to younger, immature ones. And remember to forgive, especially those who repent. How many times? Unlimited. And so the apostles said, man, how do we get faith like that that can so radically change me that I am that willing to watch my actions so I don't hurt people who are younger than me and that I would just forgive that quickly? How do I get that faith? And Jesus says, it's just a leap. It's a leap. And then he ties us in there. He says, so let's think about a story. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? Look, the servant has been plowing for the master. The servant's been taking care of the sheep for the master. Okay? Verse 8, no! The master doesn't say, come on, sit down and eat. He says, go prepare my meal. 
Go prepare my meal. I wronged Laura. What is she to do? Be ready to forgive me. The repentance will come. She knows that. I know that in relationship to her. We've been married 44 years yesterday. I just got to be patient. She got to be patient. And so what do we do? We come in from a hard day and I want her to say, I'm sorry, Mike. And she wants me to say, I'm sorry, Laura. Just do what God wants me to do as a husband and she does what God wants as a wife. If we have to rebuke, we rebuke, but then we prepare the meal. See, the master says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve me while I'll eat. Then you can eat later. In other words, your need will be addressed in time. Look at verse 9. Because some of you are already arguing with this. And I'm going to tell you, you're listening to me, you're arguing with me. This is Jesus. He says, and does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In other words, oh my goodness, you are such a good servant to work in the field and take care of the sheep and prepare my meal. You're a good guy. Now listen, we should be kind. Laura and I are studying. We, we, we.